Hi, and welcome to the Imperfect Podcast. My name is Deb Crow, and I will be your host. Join me on this journey as we meet heart-centered leaders from all over the globe. Lots of interesting questions, interesting conversation, and find out what makes a leader. How do they handle uncertainty and complexity? How do they lead in a time that is volatile? Join us. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. And again, we are, we're traveling the globe and I'm not even leaving my home office with COVID-19. And I have to tell you, I'm, I'm having a great deal of fun. This week, we are heading back down under to meet an amazing heart-centered leader. Her name is Juliet Bork, and let me tell you a little bit about her. She leads Deloitte's Australia's Diversity and Inclusion Consulting Practice, and she's also the co-lead for the leadership practice. Juliet has over 25 years experience in human capital, management, and law. She works with executives and global organizations to improve workplace performance through cultural change, focusing on DNI, leadership, and culture. Her latest book, The Acclaimed, Which Two Heads Are Better Than One, How Diverse Teams Create Breakthrough Ideas and Make Smarter Decisions, has helped leaders understand how to systematically create diverse thinking, and take team performance to the next level. So, Juliet, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You have so many uh, accolades and awards, and I know that you sit on a number of boards, so I just uh, want to thank you and give you some gratitude. I'm in Canada for your time, so I know for you it's uh, Wednesday morning, as it is for me Tuesday night here in Canada. So just thank you for your time and your willingness to share your expertise with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. And you may hear some birds in the background because the birds are waking up in the bush outside my, my window. Well, there. see, this is the joy of dealing with different countries and time zones, right? If, that, if that's the worst that happens to us, then we got it made. Exactly. So I know we're going to discuss a new leadership capability, an inclusive leader. And I remember coming across this document uh, back in 2015 when it was created. So I want to talk about the six traits of inclusive leadership, curiosity, cultural intelligence, collaboration, commitment, courage, and cognizance. How has your background and experience prepared you to be effective in an environment at Deloitte that really holds diversity at their core for their company's mission and values? Wow, that's a big question. Um, Maybe the starting point is that I wasn't sure if I was an inclusive leader, and yet I thought that that was really important. So um, the research which we initiated back in 2015 was a whole lot of interviews with with leaders whom we had worked with for a number of years and they seem to be much more adept at working in different environments, moving fast, you know, working with different teams. And when we interviewed them, we could identify these sort of six different traits or capabilities. Uh, and then of course we interviewed 
employees who worked for them, so let's say followers, to verify um, are these the capabilities that these leaders are drawing on. And actually the way you've described it, I would describe it slightly differently. I would start it all from commitment. That's the first one. Because without commitment, without that motivation, without that drive, without pulling on some sort of purpose within you, it doesn't give you the energy to keep on doing the other acts of an inclusive leader. And that's really what we saw with these leaders that we interviewed, that there was something deep within them about their values, which was causing them to want to be more inclusive. And maybe that's the same starting point for me. I have very strong social justice values. I had worked in the criminal justice system um, earlier in my career, and then I'd worked in human rights later in my career. And so that, that probably was my starting point as well. Well, I have to tell you, I, I do not recall how or where I found this on the internet, but I did. And I have been using this in my coaching practice with executives and C-suite leaders for almost five years. So this is a full circle moment for me <laughs> to speak to you because you're, you did the research and created this document. So I feel like I've known you for like five years, Julia, because I've been, <laughs> I've been talking about this. And I'm happy that you kind of gave me the starting point because when I looked at this, I'm looking at it, it's it's a circle, so I'm thinking of a clock. I wasn't mm -hmm. sure the order. So that, that gives me now a new basis or foundational point to start with my own clients with commitment, because truly just the way you eloquently explained it there, it is the foundation to everything. And, and it is it does go as a circle then. So commitment is the, the beginning point of that. And then the next one is the courage to be humble. And it, it all starts there, from there, really, doesn't it? Because you've got to have a learning mindset. You've got to, as you say, recognize your imperfections. In fact, see your imperfections as you know, part of you and, and part of um, your learning uh, paradigm, your, your learning goals. So that's, that's, it starts with commitment, courage to be humble, cognizance of bias, and then curiosity, cultural intelligence, and collaboration. And I do want to acknowledge that I did this work um, originally with Bernadette Dillon. She and I were the co-authors of it. And then in recent years, I've been working with Andrea Espedito to um, use the database that we have of over 12,000 raters um, to look at 1,200 leaders and to see how they're actually bringing these six trays to life. Well, it covers so many different elements of leadership, hence the model being inclusive. <laughs> but I love the courage. And I think I think I want to throw in an extra question for you here and, mm -hmm. and why I named this podcast Imperfect. Why do you think so many leaders have apprehension or don't want to have the courage to step into openness and vulnerability? Oh, I don't, I don't think that has been valued as a behavior or a capability in leaders. I think actually the model of leadership has been one of Teflon, where you exude confidence. I think we can see that in some of the leaders around the world who just have this bravado to them. And it does get people ahead to a degree. So why wouldn't you lean into that kind of behavior? But I think what we've started to see is there's a limitation. As I said, you can only grow so far if you don't 
recognize your imperfections. But more importantly, I don't know, more importantly, but importantly, you need to show vulnerability if you expect other people to be vulnerable with you, if you want them to take risks, if you want them to open up. So it's a critical part of the kind of leadership I don't want to say arsenal, that's not, that's not the word I'm looking for, but repertoire, that leaders are in fact leaning into vulnerability. But it's, it's a relatively new thing. To say, for example, hey, I don't know enough about um, racism or sexism or Black Lives Matter or Juneteenth or, you know, pick, pick something. And I should. That is part of being a leader, is leading for everyone, not just leading for a group of people who looks like me. That's an example of the courage to be vulnerable. Well, I love that. And I, I think it is a core leadership skill. And I think you're right. And I'm, I was going to further augment my question, but you just answered, answered it so beautifully to encompass D&I. It's not a new thing. So it's just so interesting to me that I have shared this with so many people. And now I'm happy to be putting it out to the masses now so that people can have this, this whole document that you put out in 2015. Because we are thriving in a, in a diverse new world, but we're really not. It's not a new world. I think we're just becoming more educated and more aware. And I think more leaders are stepping into their greatness and speaking their truth. Yeah, I, I think there's been an uptick in leaders' capabilities as well, maybe because we're faced with challenges that we haven't had before. It might have sort of acted as a circuit breaker and I do think these capabilities around inclusive leadership are fundamental interpersonal skills for every leader. I mean, I brought up the context of diversity because that's what I was researching, first of all, with Bernadette. But as I've worked with more and more leaders around the world, I can just see that these are fundamental capabilities to be curious and open with other people, to empower people, to you know, be conscious of your own biases so that you're actually really listening to people as opposed to just um, or listening to, to, to different voices rather than just listening to an echo chamber of your own. They're important for everyone. Well, and I guess my curiosity is since you've developed this, it's five years now, 2015, you had mentioned, how do you view the six signature traits in terms of what it's taught you about yourself and your own leadership style? <laughs> well, I, many things, I think. I think, um, I think starting off with, um, I think I used to be a very direct leader, very driven um, and, you know, had a goal and would just sort of march towards that goal. And I've learned to be a lot more collaborative. I've learned to give people space to come to their own conclusions about things and for me to listen more broadly to other points of view. I've learned um, to open up that space. One of the tactics that I use myself is to ask people to tell me more about something. And what I'm really doing is I'm giving them space to deepen what they've just said rather than having almost like a tennis ball conversation. I say one thing, they say another thing. I slow myself down and I give them a chance to deepen by using tactics like that. So I'm including more of their perspective in my own understanding of them. So I think it's, I think it's helped me to be a better leader. I certainly get more positive feedback these days than I did previously. So 
I suppose the proof's in the pudding. Well, and I love what you wrote uh, on that diagram of the six signature traits under collaboration. You've got because a diverse thinking team is greater than the sum of its parts. So just visualizing what you just said about that conversation, I think you're removing the awkwardness by giving them the cue to tell you more and then pausing. And there's so much solace and silence is powerful in a conversation when you give people time and it's not facilitated or verbalized in an awkward way. So what a nice mnemonic with the tennis game and as a coach, fellow coach to you, it's one of the best ways to have a conversation is to allow that time and space. Thank you. I need, I need coaching as well. And so I appreciate your comments and I do appreciate how you're using this, um, this model, the six signature trades in your coaching as well. I, and I'd, I'd love for you to give me feedback on what do you think has been important in your coaching with using this model? Well, I love this. You're my first guest who's asked me a question. So I'm, ha <laughs> I'm happy to answer that. I have, to, I have to be completely transparent and authentic with you. My executive team leads that I work with and the C-suite leaders, they love it. And they're like, where did you get this is the first hmm. question. Because like you, I think it's important as a coach, whether we're working with a team lead, an executive, the C-suite leader, or even a group within a department, I think it's important that we continue being lifelong learners and adding mm. tools into our toolkit or our arsenal. Because much like you, Juliet, I've worked in many different sectors and you can't have that cookie cutter approach or that tennis game conversation. You have to have leverage to know what tools you need to pull into your practice because, you know, human capital, people, behavior, it's all different, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So I, my copy was getting so dog-eared, I had to laminate it. And it sits on my desk. So even if I happen to spill something on it now, I can easily wipe it off. But all joking aside, uh, it has been received so beautifully. I know a lot of my clients have shared it, especially on LinkedIn. I know there's a few people that have asked to be put in touch with you, which is another reason I wanted to have you on the podcast because I'd rather get this out to the masses so that you can have ongoing discussions, which will add to your research and your data, which is only going to keep you going academically and professionally. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm pleased. And I, I, had, I definitely keep learning with this tool and the more uh, we have people using it. So we, we do 360 assessments with people and therefore we capture lots of data around them. And there's a couple of things that I've learned about it. Can I, can I share them with you? Oh, absolutely. Please do. I think one of them, and we've written, Andrea and I have written two HBR articles about this. The first thing that we learned is only a third of people are able to accurately assess whether others perceive them as an inclusive leader. And, and I suppose that's what I was wondering myself as well. How do other people perceive me? And, you know, therefore, I'm probably one, I'm going to sit into that category of either one of three getting it right or one of three overestimating my capability 
or one of three underestimating my capability. And underestimating isn't any good either because it means that people aren't under the front foot. They don't see themselves as role models. So they don't really um, try and lead other people in that direction. The other article that we wrote, which was published in March of this year, found that, and we, we were constantly asked, of these six, which is the most important? And the answer is, it depends on who's asking. If it's the leader who's asking, then the most important trait is, as I said before, commitment, because it all starts from motivation. You have to really have this drive to, to stay being inclusive, because being inclusive is, is harder than you know, just having a narrow group of voices around you. Um, but the second thing that we found there was that if it was from the raters perspective, what are raters? What are others who are looking at you? What is the most important trait? Well, actually it's a cluster of three. And the first one is they're looking at your consciousness of your biases. Do you really understand your habits and your behaviors? And do you do that with the courage to be humble, to say, hey, I make mistakes and I don't want to make them, like, so help me not do that. And then the third factor was perspective taking and empathy. Do you try and see the world from someone else's point of view? So what others are looking at when they're looking at you, just to sort of summarize that, are you conscious of your biases and do you come at that consciousness with a level of humility and a level of empathy for other people? So you're wanting to improve that. But if you're asking yourself that question, what's the most important trait? If you're a leader, it starts with commitment. I mean, they're all important, but in terms of rank order, those ones come slightly ahead. Well, and the Raiders ones are interesting because they're, they're core leadership skills to be a heart-centered leader. So that's really, mm. really interesting. What, mm. what imperfections do you feel have brought you to where you are now in your leadership style? I think it was, I think my imperfection um, and I've probably still got it to a degree, but it was to be right. I mean, I started life as a criminal lawyer and therefore, <laughs> you know, I was a, a DA, a district attorney. I mean, you want to be right, right? You want to make sure that you are, you know, presenting the evidence that is correct. So I had this strong drive to make sure that everything was evidence-based and that, that I was right. And I think I've still got a drive to do things that are evidence-based, but I'm probably now a bit looser in the sense that there are many rights. There are many ways of doing things. It doesn't just have to be my way. And I think that, that goes back to that book that I wrote around diversity of thinking. I identified there were sort of six different ways that people approach problem solving and mine, an evidence-based way, was just one of them. You know, People could be much more people-oriented or risk-oriented or process-oriented, and they were all equally important. So my imperfection to you know, solve problems in one particular way has meant in the end, because I've coupled that with inclusive leadership, that I'm much more open to other people's points of view. And I have this thing for myself, I would call it the scratch test or the itchy test, which is when I find someone else is getting under my skin, I actually lean in harder to that person because I realize I need them more. People who are similar to me, they don't get under my skin. And so, you know, I'm probably already to a degree have their perspective in my mind, but people who are very different to me, you know, sometimes that can feel annoying. And I've realized, you know, 
that that's a sign for me. I need to lean in. Um, hopefully I've answered that with, a, with enough authenticity and transparency, but I think I was too goal-driven at the beginning and too, too much certain of the importance of my own way of doing things. Well, I'm thrilled that you said it because I'm sure if you and I sat and talked about the number of people we've worked with in coaching and, and with organizations as a whole, I always come across this repetitively. And I always talk about the dimension of thought and, and being that systematic thinker. So my question to my clients is always, if you're right all the time, what space does it leave for me? And they're like, well, when you put it that way. So it's like you said before, it's asking the right questions so that you can frame it so there can be kind of a self-audit of behavior. And I love it that you're so self-aware now that you lean in. It's almost like a sensory disruption for mm. you now, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. I love that. So yeah. my last question for you is what's next for Juliet? What is your next professional goal or do you have continued academic goals? What's, what's next for you? Well, um, I'm leaving Deloitte on 30 September and I'm going to concentrate on finishing my PhD. So I've been doing my PhD. This is my third year and I've been doing it part-time and I'm going to finish it this year. I'm looking at um, interpersonal inclusion. So what are the behaviours between co-workers that make others feel included? So less about leadership, but more at a peer level. And, and that's been fascinating. Well, I'll be uh, excited to maintain contact and, and following you on your journey. So congratulations. That'll be quite Thank an you. accomplishment to be finished. And I'm sure you'll be glad to be finished. So what a wonderful goal. So 2020 is going to be good for you. You're getting stuff done. I'm getting stuff done. Yep. So, so I'm obviously still goal driven. Well, but I mean, I think we all need to be and, and foster that, that number one trait of an inclusive leader. And, and we have to be committed to ourselves as well. Right. True. That's, that's true. And I think that's part of it, right? Committing yourself to being um, a better leader than you were yesterday. And I think that that never stops, no matter how senior you are in your organization, you can always improve you know i don't and i think these capabilities that we've been talking about are learned capabilities i don't think anyone's born with them even the ones around curiosity that i spoke to people about they could learn how to be more curious or, or curious in a different way no i fully agree with you well i like to end the podcast with what i call the fab four and these are just four fun questions and whatever whatever answers are sitting on the top of your mind so here's my first one. If I were to speak to your friends and your family and ask them to describe Juliet in one word, what word would they give me? Oh, isn't that hard? Um, maybe kind. I think they would think I was kind. And, and do you think we need the word maybe, or do you think it'd be a solid kind would be the answer? <laughs> oh, no. Uh, so the reason I'm, I'm hesitating is I think they would say I'm kind and generous. I think that's, that's how they would describe me. And then I, I just think they would also describe me as very fair. I think there's just two words. So I think that's a definite. My husband, if you asked him, he would say I am definitely kind and generous. So would my daughter. Um, so would my son. But I, I think 
they also think I'm fair as well. I've got this strong social justice um, bone in my body. Well, that's the, those are lovely descriptor words for sure. My second question is, what makes you curious? Oh, I think because there's so much I don't know. There's so much to be known in the world. And, and when I get an intellectual problem that I can't see the end of, then I keep on pursuing it. I mean, that's the reason I, I wrote the book. I, people talked about diversity of thinking and I thought, I just don't even really understand what that means. And the more I asked people, I could see they didn't understand either. So I love a big intellectual challenge. I, I already know that about you and that's a good trait because <laughs> I'm, I'm the same. We are cut from the same cloth. Now, I, uh, I love Australia and mm -hmm. I uh, actually worked for the Commonwealth of Australia for seven years and I was there mm. in 1994. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful place to visit. What do you love the most about Australia? Right now with COVID, probably that it's very far away from other countries. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think, I think we have um, a good sense of balance in life, or at least we try to. So I look at some other countries and they, we overwork as well, but I think we still appreciate um, having a balance in work and life. I would agree. And, and I, I know that uh, and think that Australians are often spoke of as being the friendliest people in the world, just like us fellow Canadians. We, <laughs> we, get, we, get, we get compared a lot to, to Australians, but it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful country, and I hope to get back one day. My last question is, mm -hmm. if you had to describe 2020 in an article, what would you make the title of the article? What would you call it? Um, the Difficult Year. It really is that simplistic, isn't it? Mm. It's, yeah. it's, it's been a difficult year and we're, we're more than halfway. So I, uh, I cannot tell you how delighted I am to have virtually met you and uh, speak with you and share your expertise. And uh, just know every time you, you get a sensation that someone's thinking about you, it's probably <laughs> me giving your inclusive leader document to, to yet another executive around the world. So thank you for sharing you. your time and expertise. No, and thank you, Deb. Thank you for the work that you're doing. I, I love this idea of the podcast and I love your ideas around accidental leadership. So kudos to you too. Right well, back at you. Well, we will keep in touch. And I like to end my podcast with my five favorite, I just call them things. I think it's a way of living. Follow your heart, have passion, do your best know your truth, and always be in love with the journey. This is Deb Crow. Thanks for joining me once again on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast.